My name is Tress Sansom, as Joe said, and this amazingly beautiful woman is my wife, Kate. And we have two kids, Benjamin, who's 13, and Abby, who's 11. And, you know, as I was looking back in our calendar, and I think it, next Sunday is going to be the one-year anniversary to when we first walked through the doors of White Pine. And we found this church family to be nothing short of amazing. Um, we've loved being part of this fellowship. We were so warmly greeted by people on the very first Sunday, and it continued on um, throughout the weeks that we continued attending, and, you know, and, and it's just been a blast to be here. Um, back on September 4th and Labor Day weekend, Kate and I shared part of our story, and so if you're interested in finding out a little bit more after you hear what I have to say this morning, um, I can encourage you to go back and find that on our website. Um, but, those, but for those of you who are new to White Pine or simply were not here, I thought I'd just give you a brief little quick summary of my struggle after I was first injured. On June 14th of 1992 um, was the day that my life changed forever. I dove into a pool while at a, while at a friend's house and hit my head on the bottom, which broke my neck. And in that instant, I became a quadriplegic, completely and totally um, paralyzed. I was 18 years old at the time and had recently graduated from high school. And I was a strong, athletically gifted young man. And my, my hope and dream was to go to college to play baseball so that I could become a high school baseball coach. Um, and I, but I knew I had the world before me and I could go anywhere I wanted to go, do anything I wanted to do and be anyone I wanted to be. But all those hopes and dreams that I had built up in, throughout those 18 years were shattered on that day. And the first two or three years after I was injured were really a struggle. Um, as, is, as happens, you know, most of my friends moved on with their lives and I was left alone at home and I just felt completely alone. I entertained all sorts of dark thoughts back in those days. And although I had grown up in church and believed in my heart that God loved me, that struggle right there really tested my faith in him. In many ways, I felt like he had turned his back on me or that he had abandoned me or maybe that I was being punished because of the sins that I had committed. And although I was surrounded by an incredible group of Christian family and friends, I really truly felt alone. I felt isolated like there was no one who could understand what I was going through. And after a few years, I realized that I had a choice to make. I could succumb to the despair and allow the darkness to swallow me up, or I could choose to do what I was taught, and that's to trust in Jesus, to be faithful. And thankfully, that's exactly what I did. I chose to put my confidence in Christ, and I'm so glad I did because he changed everything. In those years, I began to devour scripture, just wanting to find strength and hope to persevere. And I would go out in my backyard at night and lift up my eyes to the heavens and sing praises to God and shout out praises and made, made a fool of myself, but I didn't really care because, you know, I was just so overjoyed by the love that I had felt washed over me. Um, and somewhere along the way, um, I realized in the midst of my struggle that Jesus became very, very real to me. He was no longer a savior that I read about in a book. He was a savior who knew exactly what I was going through because he had been there and done that. 
His whole life was filled with struggles and trials and tribulations. And he truly was a man of sorrows who suffered far more than I could ever begin to imagine. And as I looked to him, I felt like he drew close to me. And I could feel his presence. I could hear him speak to me through his word. And I could experience his strength lifting me up and giving me hope and courage to press on in life. And Psalm 40 was one of the foundational passages that I leaned on in that time. The first few verses of that psalm say, I waited patiently on the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground, just like we sang about, and steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see what the Lord has done and be amazed, and they will put their trust in the Lord. And so for 20 plus years, I just passionately pursued Jesus and jumped at every opportunity that I could, that I could to talk about his goodness, his faithfulness, and his steadfast love. And after many years of waiting on the Lord, he finally answered my prayers and brought Kate down to Texas where I was living. And her story of moving to Texas um, was just really incredible. And we, the two of us can look at our relationship and just see God's fingerprints all over the details of how we met and got married. But after sweltering in Texas for several years, um, Kate eventually won out. <laughs> she did like the Chinese water torture. She just kept on telling me, I want to move back to Maine, I want to move back to Maine. And so finally in 2017, that's exactly what we did. We moved up here to be near her family. And it's really been good living up here. I miss a lot about Texas, um, but we've made so many incredible friends, um, many of whom are here today, folks who were in our life groups and people that we just have grown to love and appreciate. Um, and when we moved up here to Maine, we did so with a desire to serve God. And Kate and I did engage in a lot of ministry by volunteering. Uh, we counseled with premarital couples and we counseled with other couples who were struggling in their marriages. Um, but I think both of us made the mistake of putting God in a box. and We felt like we could best serve him by serving on, on staff at a church. And so we applied for a couple of jobs, but ultimately were, were uh, passed over for more qualified candidates. And, you know, really because things weren't working out like, I, like we had hoped they would, um, how I had hoped they would, I believe that I began to really sink into a state of depression, which is something I had never experienced in life. I'd always been full of hope. Um, but suddenly I found myself up here in a state of depression, and I didn't know what to do with myself other than to seek the Lord's help. And so I ran to Jesus as I had always done. And I tried to seek the Lord, but I felt like he wasn't speaking to me the way that he had once done. I didn't feel his nearness with me. And although I was surrounded by a bunch of family and friends who loved me and did everything they could to support me, I still found myself sliding back into that place of loneliness. And as time went on, I became more and more confused. And I'm embarrassed to say that I did take my eyes off of Jesus and began trying to do more and more in my own strength and in my own wisdom. Um... I knew that something was wrong, but I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Um, but as I look back now, I can see that I really 
put things on cruise control in those years. I was going through the motions of worship and ministry, but I was not doing it really out of the passion of my heart any longer. And then on top of that, um, I was not only feeling distant from the Lord, but I started to lose a lot of my physical abilities. And for years, I'd been very strong and active and mostly independent. I mean, Kate would put me in my chair, would take about an hour and a half in the morning, and then I was good to go for the rest of the day. And, um, but in 2019, I really began to feel weak, and I started losing a lot of muscle mass. I mean, a lot of my, a lot of my, uh, my balance, which made it unsafe for me to drive. And I had driven across the country multiple times, um, but in a relatively short amount of time, six months or so, I lost my ability to safely drive to Yarmouth to go shop for groceries. And then the pandemic hit, and that compounded the struggle exponentially. Think I did have a daily exercise routine, but it didn't seem to help. And in fact, many times I felt like it was making it worse because I would feel muscles popping in my neck and in my shoulders, and it just didn't, wasn't a good feeling. And when we were finally approved for main care, I was able to go to occupational therapy and then physical therapy, but nothing seemed to help. And my doctors have run all sorts of tests, but they can't seem to understand what's going on with my body. But just to sum it all up, you know, from starting in 2019 until today, I've just lost more and more strength and have slowly slid back to that place that I found myself early in my injury. I found myself being fully dependent on other people. And as a 50-year-old man who had been independent for years, it's really hard to be in that place. And it's exponentially harder whenever my wife is my only caregiver. And she's so strong and she's so incredibly gracious with me, but it breaks my heart to watch her struggle so much. And on top of that, I've become more dependent upon my kids as well, which isn't really fair to them. Thankfully, I was recently applied, I was recently approved for hospice. And so I'm starting to receive a little extra support now. And hospice has helped to get my medications all straightened out so that my pain level has been much more manageable. But the reality is that I just don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to sit upright in this wheelchair. And I'm working as hard as I can to stay upright as long as I can, but I know that I'm headed toward being bedridden in the next several months. I don't know exactly when. Um, you know, and not long ago, I began praying that God would give me one more opportunity to tell others of how faithful he had been to me throughout my life. Um, and then out of the blue, Greg reached out to me and uh, offered me the opportunity to come and to speak. Um, and I'm so thankful that he did. And so, you know, as Joe was saying, I pray that you'll just bear with me because I'm really struggling today. Um, I'm struggling to keep my thoughts together. I didn't sleep at all last night. And my medications have got me kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, <laughs> but I'll do my best just to share very simply. And since I know the kids are in here, we'll try to keep it very short today. Um, but... I simply want to encourage you, especially those of you who are going through hard times, that God is faithful. He can be trusted. 
Now, suffering is a universal, is a universal human experience. We're all going to go through times of pain and hardship. And we're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And when we go through, that, through those times, what are we to do? So like when you're feeling at the end of your rope, when you feel like your world is falling apart, when you feel alone and stuck in a painful situation, feeling distant from the Lord, what in the world do you do? Well, here's what I've done over the last 30 years. I've forced myself to remember the faithfulness of God. You know, when I've allowed my feelings or my experiences to define who God is, I've undoubtedly gone into a place of darkness and doubt. And so I want to plead with you here this morning that if you're, to, I want to plead with you to not allow your feelings or your circumstances in life to shape who God is in your mind. Allow God to speak for himself because he, and, and if you allow God to do that and you trust him at his word, I promise you he's going to come through for you. We have to go on the offensive when we're in these times and we have to fight the fight of faith by remembering the truth of who God is. Um, we have to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, so if I could kind of summarize the whole story of the Bible, um, I'd say that, you know, that in the beginning, God created this world to be an amazing place. An amazing place of beauty and complexity and diversity, but it's a world that was meant to work harmoniously, where everything was cooperating together, and it was a beautiful thing. And the crown jewel of his creation was mankind. And he gave us a distinct, a, gave us a, a kind of relationship with him that is very different from the rest of the created world. He created us in his own image and in his own likeness, which means that he created us in order that we might have a relationship with him, a relationship of love where we mutually share love back and forth. But in any for any relationship to be based on love, there has to be one essential ingredient, and that is trust. And so from the very beginning, we see God make the first two chapters of Genesis, how God creates the world and everything in it, and man and woman, um, in his likeness, and he places the, the man and the woman into a garden. We all have heard of the Garden of Eden. And in the middle of that garden, God put a ton of trees um, that he said were for them to eat, and they could be fruitful, and they could have everything that they needed to rely on for their whole existence. But there was one tree that he told them they should not eat from. That was the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And I think God put that tree in the garden as a way of testing us to a certain extent. Because as I said, for any relationship to be based on love, there has to be trust. And a test doesn't have to be a bad thing. A test can be an opportunity to express your faithfulness. And so God put that tree in the garden and when we turn the page to, chapter, to Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to this sinister creature um, that's just appropriately described as the serpent. And the serpent is this, is this being that was created, but he was living in defiance to, against God. He's rebelling against God, 
and everything that God wants and dreams of. Um, and so he jumps on the opportunity of this one particular tree in the garden, and he twists and distorts God's words so that Adam and Eve were kind of, they were filled with, with, uh, with doubt about God. Is God really holding out on us? Is there something more he's got for me? And, and so they ended up choosing to abandon their, the one who created them and had given them everything and chose to trust in the lies of the evil one. And I just introduced all kinds of sin and hardship into the world. In this world, we see it today, every day. We just turn on our news, turn on the TV station on the news, and you just see so much conflict and bitterness and hatred, and it's just everywhere. But that's not the way it was originally intended to be. Um, and so God makes a promise whenever he comes to confront Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. He makes a promise that one day he was going to raise up a descendant of the woman and that, she, and that that descendant was going to come and he was going to crush the head of the serpent. He was going to defeat that serpent that was trying to tear down everything that God had built. Um, but that this descendant of a woman was going to be stricken and going to suffer a mortal wound in the process. Um, and so, so God gave Adam and Eve an opportunity. They didn't die right there like he had said they would happen like that, but he gave them an opportunity to continue living out their life. Um, but eventually they did die. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible is God's, is God reaching out his hand to, to mankind, trying to invite us into a love relationship. And we see him interacting with so many individuals in the Old Testament. Abraham, um, the father of, of our faith. Um, Abraham, he was an old man, 75 years old, and he was childless. And God went to him. There's nothing special about Abraham, but God went to him and he said, if you'll trust me, if you'll leave behind everything that you know, and if you'll follow me, I'll take you to an abundant land of beauty. And there I'll give you descendants, which was something that Abraham desperately desired and was so important back in those cultures. God was so bold as he told Abraham to go out and look up at the stars and asked him to count the stars if he could because he was going to give him more children than even the stars or the sands of grain. Um, and, and amazingly, Abraham believed God, and he launched out on that journey with God. And so we think Abraham has passed the test, but along the way, he begins to fail the test. He begins to, he, he lies to protect himself and allows his wife to be kind of taken into the king's courtroom um, in a not so kind of a way. And then he and his wife, eventually, they, cons they conspire to create a child um, in their own way by abusing one of their servants, Hagar. Um, and so we see again and again that Abraham was somewhat faithful to God, but he still doubted God many times. And as we move to the scriptures, we, we get along to Moses, um, who was a godly man who led the people of Israel out of their slavery in, in Egypt. Um, but that he ultimately failed the test as well. And then we come to a man named David, um, who was a descendant of Abraham, 
Abraham, one of Abraham's grandsons name was Judah and he had received a promise that from the line of Judah there was one day going to come a king a king who was going to rule over the entire world forever and ever and ever I mean and David believed him um, but David himself ultimately proved that he wasn't um, the one that was going to carry out God's plan because he too is infected with the same kind of sin and so one after another we see all throughout the history of Israel the descendants of David they just turn out to be real chumps all these guys who are his, who are his children they just continue to lead the people of Israel astray they began worshiping other gods they began doing all sorts of horrible things um, um, I'm sorry my brain's fogging up okay so eventually yeah this thank you baby now uh, just to remind me uh, I need that need a little slap ever so often um, but the whole history of Israel is them repeatedly breaking their promises to God they trust him God would be there for them but then they would doubt him and would turn away from him but the thing that was always true is that God was faithful he he had made a promise back in the garden and he had made a promise to Abraham and he was going to be faithful despite the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel and so eventually Israel kind of runs itself into the ground and God allows them to be defeated by the big bad empire of Babylon and they're taken off into exile um, but there was this crazy group of guys that kind of hung out in the wilderness back in those days and they were the prophets and the prophets kept reminding the people of Israel that God had made a promise and that God was faithful and he would bring about a deliverer if we would simply trust him and Isaiah gives us uh, more information on how this chosen one was going to rescue us and in Isaiah 42 we see that it comes through this chosen one suffering death and then overcoming the grave and so and then the kind of the book the book of the Old Testament kind of closes and there's this period of like 400 years where the people of Israel are not hearing from God there's no prophet speaking anymore and then suddenly a prophet shows up John the Baptist who is kind of a crazy wild man uh, but he was preparing the way for the one who was indeed the chosen one and that was Jesus God had decided he had worked all the events of human history so that at a particular point in time his son would leave heaven will come to earth and be born just like us to suffer the same limitations that we suffer I mean he was born there was questionable his there was questions about whether his parents were married whenever they whenever he was conceived and so he had to carry that around with him most of his life and then King Herod decide, decides that he, he hears about Jesus being born and he decides he's gonna go and try to kill him and so Jesus and his family have to run off as exiles um, into Egypt and just over and over again throughout his life he suffered terrible trials and, and tribulations and there's this one particular time where the Holy Spirit prompts Jesus to go out into the wilderness 
Just like the people of Israel had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, Jesus went out into the wilderness where he was going to face a big test. And this same serpent who had appeared in the garden came to Jesus and did his best to distort the words of God. But Jesus chose to trust God. And he defeated Satan by quoting the truth of God's word. And so Jesus continued to live this amazing life. You know, he, God, God kind of showed that he was his messenger by giving him the power and ability to do signs and wonders and healings. And, and he, his teachings were like something new that no one had ever heard of before. And they were spoken with authority and led to life change. Um, and Jesus continues going, around, going along in his life. And at some point, God sends him up onto a mountaintop. And he has three of his disciples with him. Um, and God tells him that, that, that the way that he's, or that he's about to make a turn and he's going to go to Jerusalem to suffer the ultimate test, the test of death. And Jesus trusted him. The Bible says that he set his face toward Jerusalem and he went attacking that destiny head on. Um, and he... And so he went there and was betrayed into the hands of sinful men like we read about. And ultimately Jesus was crucified. Uh, but God vindicated him on the third day by raising him from the grave. And, and I think that, that right there kind of tells us what's most important in God's eyes. Um, he sent Jesus to come to rescue us from our sin. He didn't send Jesus to come and make our life easy and comfortable. Um, God is committed to rescuing our souls. And the ways that he has chosen to do that is by trusting in his great faithfulness and his promises. Um, I, Joe just read from a little book that my friend Doug Smith gave to me not long ago, God's Promises for Every Day. And it's a little book that's just filled with all the promises of God regarding various situations in life or struggles that we may be going through. So God makes these promises, and God is so good that he never changes. He's faithful to his promises, and he promises to never leave us, to never forsake us. He promises to always be with us um, in our time of need. There's this passage in Isaiah 43 that was spoken back to the people of Israel, but I believe it's for us as well. And in that passage, Isaiah talks about how whenever you go through the rivers, that you're not going to be swallowed up. That when a, when a flood comes, you're not going to be swept under. Or if you go through a time of fire, that you're not going to be burned because God is going to be there to protect you and to uphold you. And all those are figurative, of course. But that's what God has, has shown to be true in my life. These 30 plus years, I've, I've sought to live for him. And there's been ups and downs. And I've slid, I've kind of gone wayward a few times. But ultimately, God has brought me back because he is utterly faithful. And I'm so grateful. And my friend Doug, we just recently read through the book of Hebrews. And there's two passages that are so meaningful in the book of Hebrews. 
And that comes from Hebrews chapter 2 and, he, and Hebrews chapter 4. And in both of those passages, it talks about how Jesus came in the same weakness as humanity, that he did indeed suffer all the trials and tribulations that we go through. He hungered, he thirsted, he, he was tired, he suffered pain. Sorry, my brain just went foggy again. If you would pray for me. Yeah. But you know, ultimately, we can trust that Jesus has come, that he has been made like us, and he has paved the way to deliver us out of our, out of our struggles. There's a promise that he makes in Matthew chapter 11, which I think is very applicable for all of us today. Now, I'm feeling very weak, very, as you see, my mind is starting to get clouded over again. There's this passage in, he, in Matthew 11 that says, where Jesus stands up in the midst of a crowd, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, and this is an agricultural community, and he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I read that promise long ago, and I cho chose to trust Jesus, and I came to him, and he's shown himself to be utterly faithful to me all these years. And so, regardless of what you're going through in life, what, regardless of any struggles or pain you may be feeling, I just want to assure you as best I can, based on my 30 years of walking with God, that he is utterly faithful. The cross tells us what's most important in God's mind, and that is the rescue of our souls. And so, um, I think I'm going to just kind of close with that because I'm starting to get all loopy up here. But I've asked Joe to sing a song um, that we're going to wrap up the service with. Um, it's a song that's written by Chris Tomlin, and it's entitled Always. And it just basically talks about how faithful God is always, that he's never changing. And so I hope that as, as the band sings this song and as we sing along with them, that these words will minister to your heart and that you'll take them, you'll take them in. Um, you know, normally I would, I, I would feel kind of foolish for standing up here and bumbling along, um, but today I'm just full of confidence that God is going to use me in this weak state because his word is faithful and doesn't matter what I say, he can use his own word to speak to your heart. And so if you are here and you don't know Jesus, I would love to be able to talk to you about that, to share with you how you can enter into that relationship. Um, and if you do know Jesus, then hold on to him. Don't give up. And so let's, let's, uh, let me pray real quickly and then we'll I'll let you guys sing this song. Father, you, you, you know how I'm feeling right now and have been all morning. But I praise you for being utterly faithful and I ask that you would use these feeble words of mine and speak to the hearts of people. I pray that they would be encouraged, that they would put their hope in you.
Thank you for being so faithful. We love you. Amen.